Well, I received in the mail this past week a very interesting package. It was, it came from an engineering firm in Indianapolis, which I don't, I looked the firm up online. I don't even know who works there. But someone signed their name on the contents of this package, and the only thing is I can't make out their name. So I have no idea who works at Boeing Engineering that I would know. But the package was a simple block of wood, and on the wood was engraved this word, simplify. And then on the back, it was, keep the faith, whoever. Now, it didn't say whoever. It had the name. I can't read the name. I can only read the word simplify. So I have no idea why a person from Indianapolis who works at a company I have never visited, I've never heard of, would send me a block of wood with the word simplify. Now, I've asked myself a few questions. First, is this someone who is a friend of mine on Facebook, and they are desperately concerned about me? I thought that was the case, and so I emailed an old college friend of mine on Facebook. I said, did you do this? He wrote back, no, I didn't, but I hope you have a great day. So I thought, well, maybe this is like Moses' burning bush, except God is disguising himself as an engineer from Indianapolis, and he's sending me messages on blocks of wood. But that didn't fly. So to make matters more provocative, I received this right after Linda and I returned from vacation. So maybe it made me feel as if I didn't get it right on vacation. And I kept saying to the block of wood, look, I tried. I really did for six days. So now I've resorted to talking to a block of wood, which has convicted me. I put it on my shelf in my office. So each morning when I arrive, the first thing I see is this block of wood that says simplify. Two thoughts go through my mind. Some mornings I say, that's really nice. Other mornings I want to say, will you just shut up? Now, I know you shouldn't say shut up, but that's what I want to say to the block of wood. Because at that moment, at 8 o'clock or whenever, things just don't feel very simple. But it's there each day. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Now, to be honest, I can go back in my files. I could probably find a lot of sermons on this subject, partly because it's one I wrestle with. And maybe you all have me figured out by now after 13 years. If you go back through my sermons and look at all the themes I preach on, you could probably say, so those are all the issues that he's having. I think it's also part and parcel because of what I value as our Quaker journey, as our Quaker faith. And it's also because I think it's, it's an issue in people's lives. I look around and I read and I see and I listen and I watch even to the point where at some point along the line we had to come out with a popular magazine called what? Simplify. I looked at that magazine. It didn't seem very simple to me. About 75% were ads encourage you to buy stuff so you could what? Read the magazine, simplify. Simplifying one's life. Maybe my problem is I tend to turn it into a project or a task to check off my to-do list. But what I'm becoming more aware of, it's not a to-do list issue. It's a way of being. When I turn simplicity into something I do, I miss the fact that in essence it's more who I am. It's a way of being. It's a way of life. It's this inward orientation of my heart and soul that ends up manifesting itself in my daily life and choices. But first of all, it's that inward orientation. And what does that look like? And how is my life oriented? My friend Phil Gully wrote about this in his most recent book about Quakerism. He says, the life of simplicity 
does not mean owning a bare minimum of goods. Now, I've met a lot of people who own a bare minimum of goods that do not lead a very simple life. They lead a very frenetic life. They lead a very busy life. They lead a very exhausting life. He goes on. It's a commitment to live a liberated life, freed from constant distraction, devoted to our spiritual and emotional growth and the betterment of others. Or here's another definition. It's an inward reality of a single-hearted focus upon God and God's kingdom, which results in this outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness in which disciplines are a hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. We practice simplicity when we intentionally arrange our life around God, what God is doing in us and what God is doing in the world, and we let the rest drop off. Now, I think for me, that's the key. I am great at adding things on. I am really not great at letting things drop off. I am great at adding in my life. I just don't do well at subtracting because what? I just think I need it all. I need to do it all. I need to be around it all. I need to know it all. And so part of this challenge of simplicity, it's not just what I add, it's what I subtract. Now, it sounds so good on paper and in a quote and on a block of wood, but it's challenging. At least that's what I found to be. This scripture that Ray read this morning I love out of Ecclesiastes. This is all I have learned, the writer says. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. Now, on my better days, I know that plain and simple feeling of being deeply and valued and loved by God. It carries me through my days that I'm valued and I'm deeply loved and I'm able to value and love others as well. And I live with this deep trust that God is providing and God will provide and that I don't have to manage the world and I don't have to manage everyone else's life. By the way, I know that I'm sort of getting closer to simplicity when I realize I don't have to manage the world, when I realize that I am not everybody else's manager. But on my not-so-good days, I complicate the whole thing. I know firsthand that phrase, but we have made ourselves very complicated. I complicate relationships by trying to manage other people's lives while not tending to my own. I complicate my emotional growth by engaging in impression management or worrying about pleasing others or worrying about what people think about me and, and not living into the freedom of my own existence. I complicate my life by getting over-involved in activities and think that will prop up my fragile ego and sense of self-worth and I'm and if I'm productive, everyone will finally approve of me. And the scariest thing when someone asks you is, how are you doing, is to say, well, I'm doing okay. I'm not that busy. Because if I say I'm not that busy, people are going to probably think, what? You must be lazy. I complicate my ability to flourish by worrying too much over what people will think of me and trying to validate my own existence. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, you are one hot mess. And you're right. You're exactly right. One of my first steps to recovery and back into a life of simplicity is to admit that, that I am a mess. I am a broken mess at times. And when I get out of rhythm in simplicity, it's because I am trying to figure out a way to heal all the wounds and fix all the stuff and manage all the brokenness by all of that doing. And I realize eventually that just doesn't get it done. And I get worn out. 
and I get tired, and I get exhausted. And when I get worn out, and I get tired, and I get exhausted, I get irritable. And when I get irritable, I just don't like who I am. Now, you might be thinking, well, where do we start? What does this look like? Well, I think there's not steps one to three. I think it's more fluid and organic than that. But I do think there are some key elements to this. The first, I think, is this, honesty. Honesty about myself and my own soul condition. Where am I feeling fragmented? Where am I feeling fractured? What is distracting me? How are my emotional issues and emotional immaturity possibly sabotaging my life? Now, these are all hard questions. But I think they're necessary questions because they invite us to face ourselves in a way that is honest or, as that verse says, plain and simple. Being honest with ourselves, at least with me, moves us beyond this idea of impression management where we're not as concerned about impressing others as we are being honest with ourselves. It's sort of like coming out from hiding. You probably have read at least the first two or three chapters of Genesis if you've never read the Bible at all. In those first two or three chapters, do you remember that question God asks Adam and Eve? He asks them what? Where are you? Which seems like an odd question because you would think of all the places that God's playing hide and seek. It doesn't seem like a very fair game, does it? God knows where everybody is. I don't think it's a question of proximity or geography. I think it's a question of do you know who you are? It's like asking somebody this question, where are you in all this? Where are you in all this? It's like God is asking Adam and Eve, where are you in all this? Why do you feel you have to hide from me? Why do you feel you have to run from me? Why do you feel you have to separate yourself from me? Because I simply want to enjoy life with you. So where are you? Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you on this journey called life? Where are you emotionally? Where are you spiritually? Where are you in this invitation to live a much more simple, focused, measurable life that simply lives into the moment and doesn't always try to manage the moment. It takes some honesty. Second, I think there's the simplicity of simply allowing Christ to speak to our condition. In other words, to allow Christ to give us what we need and to receive from Christ what we need. There's this wonderful question in the Gospel of Mark that we may find a hard time answering mainly because we're so wired up to doing, doing for life, doing for Jesus. But in Mark chapter 10, Jesus asks blind Bartimaeus this question, what do you want me to do for you? Now think about that. Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus literally wants to help. Now, if you allowed that question to be asked of you, how would you respond? In this moment, Jesus comes to you and asks, what do you want me to do for you? Carol Ann, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Mike, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? When I hear Jesus say, Scott, what do you want me to do for you? Oftentimes my first reaction is, what? Ah, it's okay, it's nothing. I'm fine. I've got this. But if Jesus is asking me that question, I'm pretty sure it's because I don't got it. He sees something. Blind Bartimaeus could have said, it's okay, I've gotten used to running into things. 
I've gotten used to not seeing things. But instead, blind Bartimaeus said what? I want to see. Help me see. In the simplicity of the relationship with Jesus, he comes to us and simply asks, what do you want me to do for you? I want to be able to rest. I want to know what it's like to be loved. I want to see joy again, Jesus. I want to be able to flourish. I want to know what it's like to live fully to my potential. I don't know what your answer would be, but I guarantee you, Jesus wants to ask you that question. What do you want? Then there's this element of simply allowing my life to realign and reorient my life around what is restoring, to live a life of simple obedience when we hear and sense how Jesus is inviting us into a life of simplicity. Most of the open doors out of my complicated life, I'm unwilling to step into. Most of the open doors that are offered me, I tend to shut. And that's, again, where I'm growing, I hope. My, sub, my stubborn self takes over, or maybe I'm addicted to the praise or all the business, or if I slow my life down, my life will begin to feel more empty, or if I slow down, I might feel that people will say, well, you must not be doing much, which then would make me feel what? Lazy. Are you picking up the fact I have an issue with feeling lazy? I'm working on it. Jesus is working on me. We're having some come-to-Jesus moments, and we had him on vacation. So I avoid stepping through those doors, and I keep complicating my life. But it means listening deeply and openly to the places I sense the living Christ inviting me to pay attention. The areas of our life we know that needs uncluttering. Let me give you some possible options. Maybe it's our inability to say no, because we're not clear within ourselves what that greater yes may be. I know that's easier said than done, but I think it's true. If I know what that greater yes is in my life, then what? It's easier to say no. That's one of the things I've been practicing lately. No, no, no. I can't. I'm focusing on other things. Maybe our soul feels cluttered with baggage from the past, baggage from failure and mistakes, and we begin to live into this this new reality of one who is loved, and we let go of all that baggage. Just talking to uh, Tony and Tom, their daughter, Taylor, right? You're heading to where tomorrow? You're heading to Europe, and you're taking how much with you? One backpack. And she's going for how long? Three weeks. Bless you, my child. <laughs> that is traveling light. But how many of us in this journey of life, in this spiritual journey, we just carry so much excess baggage? We've got more than just a backpack. We've got a backpack. We've got a carry-on. We've got a suitcase. All this baggage from the past, we just load up, and we can hardly make the trip because we're so weighed down with it. A life of simplicity says, why don't you just kind of let go of some of that baggage and live lightly in the grace and mercy of Christ? He loves you just as you are. Maybe our souls feel cluttered and drained due to relationship issues that are unresolved. And I will tell you this, friends. There is nothing that will complicate our life more than unresolved relationship issues. Whether it's avoiding them, whether it's issues of bitterness, resentment, lack of forgiveness, I've been there, I've done that. Maybe it's simply letting go of relationships that just do not thrive and flourish and exist anymore. Maybe it's needing to say something to someone, but we don't say it in. We don't, we don't say it, we just kind of keep it all in, but we have to have that conversation. Life feels complicated then because these relational issues, they seem to buzz around us daily. They're like little gnats that just kind of keep getting in our way, and we know they're there. 
But that's part of living into that simplicity. And maybe our life just feels unfocused right now. We get overwhelmed with anxiousness or we're in over our head because our identity gets all wrapped up in stuff and we think the more stuff we have, the more we'll have an identity and we just keep buying more stuff and now we don't know how to manage it all. I don't know what it may be, but I do know that sometimes our life needs uncluttering. And that's where Christ speaks to our condition. And he asks us questions like, where are you? And what can I do for you? All right, one more quote, then a couple questions, and we'll take a few moments to reflect. This is from one of my favorite writers, Bill Hybels. I like what he says here. Simplified living requires more than just organizing your closet or cleaning out your desk drawer. How often have you done that? If I just organize that closet and clean out that desk drawer, my life will finally be what? Simple. It, maybe it will be, but I've discovered if I get all my paper clips organized in a row, I still have a very complicated life. Because of this, he says this, it requires uncluttering your soul. By examining the core issues that lure you into frenetic living, by eradicating the barriers that leave you exhausted and overwhelmed, you can stop doing the stuff that doesn't matter, and you can build your life on the stuff that does. So here's a couple questions, just for a few moments of reflection. If you were to unclutter your soul, in what area of your life would you most need to start? If you were to start uncluttering your soul, what area of your life today would you most need to start? Here's the second question. Are you building your life on the stuff that matters? Or does your life get sucked in by the unimportant and the trivial? And if so, why? Are you building your life on the stuff that matters? Or does your life get sucked in by the unimportant and the trivial? And if it does, why? As God said to Adam and Eve, where are you? I'm going to think about that for a few moments. I invite you to do that as well.